All right, all right. Let's get it happening. Skulls here, along with John Pincus, partners, Sam Firu to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Employment Law Show ready to take off. Questions about employment law could be something about vaccination, could be temporary layoff, could be a plain old severance question. Bring it on. John is here to answer it over the next uh, hour, a little less as we get into uh, the show today. Everything you need to know about medical leaves to reach out to John Anytime after the show, here is how you do it. 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. But we always start off with a couple things that you've been working on over the last week or two. John, what do you got for us uh, today, pal? Yeah, so first case of the day, uh, we'll uh, talk about some things that uh, may be of interest to people who are listening, may be similar to situations that you or your friends have gone through. And so, uh, as uh, as John always says, don't be bashful, give us a call. That's uh, mm-hmm. That's what we're here for today. Uh, So first case of the day is a situation involving a project manager who had been working as a director of a a particular department um, in a manufacturing company for 23 years. And after 21 years, um, he was told that the company is being sold, the assets are being sold, and he was given a new contract to sign. He came to me and asked me to review it, so we did a contract review and noticed that it contained a termination clause that substantially Mm -hmm. reduced his rights. It also gave the company the right to change his duties, modify his schedule, transfer him to another location. None of these things had existed before. So after speaking with me, he decided that he was going to negotiate an arrangement where he could continue working for the company following the sale without having to sign the contract. He was lucky. They needed him. They really weren't in a position to say no. Well, flash forward two years later, and his employment is terminated without cause. And the company says to him, well, you're a two-year employee, so uh, we're going to give you two months' notice. Well, (laughs) not so fast. This uh, individual knows better than this and comes to me for advice. And in fact, his full prior years of service had to be considered uh, when we're talking about his severance. And in the circumstances, this is actually someone who could be owed up to two years pay, 12 times the amount that he's wow. being offered. And in fact, what the company had done here for reasons that I, I won't get into now, it actually breached uh, the Employment Standards Act. Uh, so there are some really important lessons uh, to be drawn here. The biggest one is that if your company is sold, we're talking not about a share sale, but an asset purchase sale, uh, and you're working then for the next company, the one who buys it, the successor company, It's your full years of severance that need to be taken into account, all other things being equal. Now, related, of course, the other important lesson is that when you receive a new contract, especially if it is midway through employment, and especially if it's in this context where there is a sale, you need to speak with an employment lawyer and explore and understand your options, understand what you're signing before you sign it, because uh, this gentleman luckily uh, took action when he was able to, and he's certainly going to be very thankful that uh, that he had the wherewithal to do that. What's the second matter, pal? Well, as it so happens, the second situation is uh, fairly similar. So you sp- see if you can spot a theme here. <laughs> uh, this situation uh, involved an engineer uh, who was headhunted from a company he'd been working for for about 18 years, 17, 18 years. Uh, and not only did he speak with a headhunter, but the company actually repeatedly courted him, were constantly calling him for a period of about four or five months. They made him multiple offers. There was negotiations back and forth. Uh, they made him promises that, uh, that there were going to be certain long-term projects he'd be involved in so that he'd have job security. And so eventually, uh, it was just an offer too sweet for him to turn down. 
So he takes the offer. Uh, but then when he arrived, it turned out there was a manager of the company who he hadn't met before, certainly hadn't been part of any of the interviews, that he didn't get along with very well. Uh, and he and the and the manager were constantly butting heads, constantly in the HR office making complaints about each other until finally the company decided to just fire this person, the person wow. who had come uh, for, from the other company. Now, at this point, he'd only been employed for a year and a half. So the entitlement may have only been a few months' pay. But in the circumstances, since he had been so aggressively recruited from his employment, his termination entitlement is going to be much more than that. I would say as much as a year of his pay in these circumstances. Why? Because the court will consider the representations that were made to the time that you were hired. They will consider where, whether you were recruited from a place that you had been employed for a long time, uh, if you'd been securely employed somewhere for a, you know, an extended period of time, as was the case here. Uh, so what's the lesson? Well, first of all, make sure that when you're being hired, uh, if you are being recruited, Keep everything in writing, because if you don't keep it in writing, they're going to say, well, you know, you came to us and you were very excited to leave and we understood you were unhappy with your job. Uh, Consider negotiating a contractual protection for yourself if you're being let go. Don't agree to a probationary provision, because that's certainly going to be very damaging if you try and argue later on that you were um, uh, recruited. And certainly don't agree to a termination provision that limits your entitlements more than you're comfortable with. Use the leverage that you have, and don't be afraid to speak with us because we can help. Well, that's exactly it. If you uh, have a new contract or otherwise thrown at you, just take a step back and uh, send it to John. Let him uh, let him go through it first before you make any long-range fatal mistakes, right, as far as your employment career is concerned. Everything you need to know about medical leaves, there's a lot of uh, – misunderstanding and ignorance when it comes to this because not everybody goes off on these all the time but if it does happen you really got to uh, have your ducks in a row how long all right how long can somebody actually be away from medical reasons well the short answer to that john is as long as your doctor will substantiate right there's there's really no uh, fit set of time that you need to come back to work and there's a lot of Myth, uh, you know, myth making and, and mis, uh, misnomers about this because, um, or misunderstandings, I should say, about mm-hmm. this because, uh, first of all, we have this um, period in the Employment Standards Act where it says, well, you can be sick for three days. Right. Often you'll have a contract that says, well, you have three or four paid sick days. Right. And what's important to remember here is that you may have a limited entitlement in terms of how long. You're entitled to be paid while you're off sick. You may have limits on your eligibility to receive disability benefits, although that's an, that's an issue for another show, uh, as you know, John. Uh, but the ability to have your job held for you while you are on an unpaid leave, that is really simply based on the circumstances. If your doctor substantiating that you need to be off work for one month, two months, three months, six months, even a year or more, you're entitled to have your job back until and only until it becomes clear that you will never be able to go back. Unless that becomes clear, unless it's clear that they will not be able to accommodate you, you are entitled to stay off work and come back when you're feeling better. So when you're in that situation, get a medical note might be able to get it over the phone or over a Zoom call. Uh, do what you need to do. Um, and if your entitlement to long-term disability ends or short-term disability ends, don't simply assume that that's the moment you should return back to work. Go to your doctor and get his or her opinion. Kevin, uh, thanks for taking the time. How are you? What's your question? 
Yes, hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. My question is, I worked uh, before with um, a unionized environment. I worked for a company that was unionized. And when I was terminated, uh, the union was saying I couldn't seek um, assistance from, you know, an outside source like uh, your guest. So is that entirely true? Unfortunately, Kevin, it is true. Uh, if you are part of a union, then your union is your sole bargaining agent. And what that means is that your union is the only the only entity uh, that can advocate for you, and you are bound by the collective agreement. So if you're let go, um, if you have uh, any kind of what we call a grievance against your employer, it has to go through the union. And someone like me uh, is not... Uh, permitted uh, to act for you personally. Uh, so these are the trade-offs. When you're you're in a union, you get lots of benefits uh, while you are there, and uh, unions are very good uh, often at, at fighting for benefits while you're currently employed. Um, but at the time that uh, you, uh, if you lose your job, you just have to hope that there's a the union that you're with is uh, is going to be willing to fight for you. But that uh, that is a limit uh, when you are part of a union. Yes, but another thing was the the, sef, the years of pay because I worked almost uh, I think seventeen years, and they were saying I the maximum uh, pay they could give me was I think it was uh, six weeks, and they said that's the absolute max. Now you're saying you could get up to two years of pay, so why the discrepancy? Okay, so. Uh what you described is a little bit uh, strange because if you were employed for 17 years, there'd be an employment standards uh, minimum requirement that would be more than six weeks. But again, it comes back to the collective agreement. If you're part of a union, um, your rights are going to be bound by the collective agreement. And all the things that we talk about in terms of severance entitlements, full severance entitlements, may not necessarily apply to you because it's however good your collective agreement happens to be. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. You're welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin. Appreciate the call. And again, it, it, it's good to refresh out once in a while and reiterate, uh, John, that most of the stuff, in fact, all the stuff we talk about here when it comes to employment rights are those of non-union employees. We'll continue. More Employment Law Show is coming up. Representing Sanfiru to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this entire country. John Pincus, partner here, answering all your questions again. Yep. If you want to reach out any other time when the show is not happening, one 821 5900 You have the option of email. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we always direct you to the free and anonymous website. has tons of employment law information. Severance Pay Calculator is rolled into there. By the way, over 2 million people of use that. Uh, you can check that out anytime. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. In the meantime, getting some phone calls lined up here, and uh, we'll continue on the topic uh, for the show today, John, an important one that people really need to learn more about, and that is everything you need to know about medical leaves. Number two, does an employer, because they do this all the time, do they have the right to ask an employee for their medical information, number one, and a diagnosis about what's going on with them? Well, this is really a yes or no uh, answer, John, because mm. uh, certainly an employer absolutely is allowed to ask questions, medical questions, um, but there is a limit to what they're allowed to know. It really is a need-to-know analysis, so they are allowed to know things like prognosis, 
They are allowed to know um, when you're next going to be assessed. They are allowed to know what restrictions you may have uh, when you may come into the workplace. They are allowed to know things, not necessarily only physically, uh, but cognitively about um, your limitations. And sometimes those won't be um, comfortable to answer, but the employer does have a right to know if they're going to try to accommodate you, what they're going to need to do in order to be able to accommodate you and how to plan their business in the meantime. So often you'll get things like a functional abilities forum, which is sometimes abbreviated as FAF. You may get a cognitive abilities evaluation. Um, and those documents will help. Uh, we'll have a series of questions in them and will help the employer get information about the nature of your restrictions. So again, this is an important point, not just for employees, but employers. You know, sometimes we have uh, companies come to us and say, look, this employee uh, has been away for so long. We don't know if they're coming back. We don't know what they're going to have to do. What do we have a right to do? And employers often feel like they have to tiptoe. And you do have to be careful. But as an employer, you do also have rights in these situations. There are even rare cases, and I emphasize these are rare, uh, where if there's a reasonable suspicion on the nature of the medical, uh, an employer can ask for a medical examination. They can ask for a, a third-party uh, independent medical examination. But again, this is the exception rather than the, than the rule. Uh, if you're an employer, you certainly should not be jumping to do this. It takes some pretty extreme circumstances. So do make sure you speak to an employment lawyer uh, before going that route. Danny, thanks for standing by for a moment. Uh, go ahead. What's your question? Yeah, um, I've been employed with um, this company for four years as a driver, delivery driver. However, they wanted me to take a vaccine for the COVID vaccine, and I didn't want to take the vaccine because I wasn't comfortable with it. And I was put on two weeks unpaid leave. And prior to that, they called me back and offered me a position in the warehouse but I realized it was on a contract. So it was a six-month contract from a full-time employee to a contract for six months. So mm. I was wondering, I did, it didn't feel right, even though I accepted it because I still had my bills to pay and I have um, a mortgage renewal coming up. So I figured if I take it, then I'll be still employed when they ask me like for certain documentation, I would have it. But um, as far as I took it, I don't know what can I do now to rectify it because now every month I lose like 700 bucks a month. I'm making less than I was before. And Right. Okay. So, so you have this contract. And how long ago did you start this six-month contract, Danny? It, it will be six months in July. The end of July would be six months. Right. Well, I'd want to see exactly what it is that, that you signed, right? Because the interesting question here is going to be, uh, was the company giving you six months notice that your job was ending? Uh, in which case, uh, we may just be talking about topping you up for the income that you lost during that time. Um, or can we say that uh, perhaps at the end of the six-month contract, they have to pay your severance all over again? So we'd want to see the nature of, of what you signed. Uh, but Danny, I'd certainly recommend that you give us a call uh, so that we can connect, get you connected with one of our legal professionals um, and talk about uh, what, what you may be owed here. Because it sounds like at the very least, um, they should be topping you up. Uh, for the uh, income that you've lost over the last six months. Yeah. Makes sense? 
Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate that. You want to reach out again? Here you go. One eight five five eight two one. 5,900. Back to the uh, topic of the day, and that is everything you need to know about medical leaves. What happens, John, to an employee's job while they're on the medical leave? It could be small. It could be lengthy. You don't know. Do they have uh, to regularly update their employer, their condition? And if so, how often should they be doing that? Right. So two issues here. I mean, in terms Mm -hmm. of the employee's job, uh, the employer may get a temporary replacement. Uh, the employer may combine the employee's job with another job. It, it is a tricky situation for an employer, but they are certainly not expected to stop their business in the meantime. So they will uh, they will get someone there, but they do have to have the job available for you when you come back, unless that job uh, no longer exists, in which case they have to look at whether there's a, a reasonably comparable job. Uh, but in a, as an employee, you have obligations as well. You have what's called a duty to cooperate, which means that you have to regularly update your employer. I'd say typically as a, a general rule of thumb, even though there is no hard and fast rule, you generally want to keep them updated with a medical note uh, every, you know, maybe let's say four to six weeks. Uh, if you're going more than six weeks with no communication with your employer, uh, then that's often where uh, we start to get problems. Uh, and your employer may start to threaten you with abandon of, of employment. So you don't want to be in that situation. Uh, do make sure that you are sending things to them and that you're doing so in writing. We often tell people that, uh, you know, Sam Fury to Mark and here in the Employment Law Show, but the sister show to this is the Disability Law Show. And the firm, John, has that nice, comfortable one-two punch of doing both employment law and disability law because there is so much crossover between the two. Quite often, someone will be off work with a disability, then they get denied LTD and so on and so forth. It's good to have it all under one roof. And I know a lot of your colleagues across the hall deal with both, but uh, what should someone do if they aren't approved, first of all, for LTD coverage or that claim is cut off? Well, I, I think you're one step ahead of me on this, ah. one, John, because the first thing, of course, you want to do is you want to speak to a disability lawyer. And we've got some some uh, fantastic disability lawyers uh, at our firm. Um, and you want to really try and focus on getting your LTD coverage because that could be very valuable, especially if you're going to need it for many years to come. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, you know, when when uh, and I'm often working um, in cooperation with our disability lawyers coming up with a plan. At this time, what I tell people is, look, speak to your doctor. If you're not ready to return to work, don't confuse your insurer with your doctor. Your insurer is not there to give you medical advice. They're there to look out for numero uno, which is the insurance company. Look to your doctor for advice. And if your doctor says, notwithstanding the fact that you were denied LTD coverage, you're still not able to go back to work, get that note, send it to your your work, and then uh, let's focus on your LTD in the meantime. Yeah, and at that point is when they reach out to you and you'll pass it to one of your colleagues for sure and get it uh, get it dealt with. 416-870-6400 is that number. Use it. Still got some time. Now, what should an employee do, John, when they're ready to return to work from a medical leave? They've gotten, of course, doctor approval first, right? Right. Well, the first thing that you want to do is you got to think about, well, what are my restrictions in going back? Am I going to need some kind of accommodation? And try to be realistic, right? If you know what your employer can and can't do, um, think about uh, what is actually going to be feasible, right? Are you asking your employer to totally redesign their office for you? Or are you just asking for, you know, maybe a different kind of chair to help with, uh, you know, a back right. issue, for example, right? So, uh Start with your doctor, have a conversation, explain to your doctor the nature of the workplace, and, and hopefully get a detailed note about what kind of accommodations you need. And often it's as simple as just a graduated return to work, right? You start three days, then four days, and then back to full time, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, get that doctor's note to your employer, get it to them as soon as possible, forward it to them by email. And if you don't hear back from them, continue to follow up by email. And if you still don't hear back from them, well, that's the time to give us a call. And uh, if they say, no, we're good, we're not going to take you back, that would be the next step. Sometimes you're facing, right? What do you do? Well, if that's the case, then you may have a case both for wrongful dismissal and for breach of your human rights for what we call failure to accommodate. Uh, The question first is going to be is, did the employer actually engage with you? Did they actually think about whether there was a position available, if there was a comparable position, and if it was possible to accommodate you? Now, if your employer says that it was impossible to accommodate you, and it actually was impossible to accommodate you, which can happen from time to time, then the only severance they're going to owe you is your minimum entitlements. If they simply don't respond or they refuse to accommodate you or they uh, unreasonably or they just have someone else for the job and say they don't need you or claim that you didn't uh, follow up with them enough, well, then that's the point that we're going to be seeking compensation for you. We're going to see was there any positions or comparable positions available? Have you actually kept them in the loop uh, during your medical leave, which, again, is something we really can't do for you if you haven't contacted us by that time. So make sure you're doing that. Um, And then the last question is, you know, are there any accommodation needs that would be undue hardship? Right. Are you asking for a slightly reduced schedule or are you asking to come in three times a year? Um, And this is a very high standard for an employer to meet, but they can meet it on the circumstances. The way to find out, give us a call. Let's talk about it. Before we get into some of the most common employment law questions you get for the remainder of the uh, the show today, John, I want to switch over to uh, an email quickly. Again, if you want to send one along anytime, either have it read out in the show possibly or just uh, get in touch with John, help at employmentlawyer.ca. This would be uh, George. Says, uh, hey, John, my employer is asking me to sign a non-compete. Is this legal? Well, this used to be a much more complicated answer uh, than it has been the last uh, eight months or so, which I'm I'm very happy about. Uh, the real question here now is, are you an executive? Um, if you are an executive, then it is legal. Uh, if you are not an executive, um, then chances are it is not going to be legal, uh, and it is actually going to be um Uh, an illegal breach of statute. So uh, if you think that you're maybe kind of straddling the line, you're in a managerial position, not sure it's an executive, well, then speak to us. But main thing is you're not prepared to do it. Remember, they cannot force you to sign something midway through employment. Worst they can do is let you go and then uh, pursue your severance. What, uh, what, What changed so drastically eight or nine months ago? Well, what happened is uh, with Bill 27, they came out with a law that uh, had an, a number of, of aspects of it. One of them was uh, fairly uh, fairly toothless, uh, which is the uh, right to disconnect law. But the part of it that actually did have a major impact uh, was the part that dealt with non-competition clauses, because non-competition clauses are now, except in very select circumstances, illegal. Now, just so everyone knows, this doesn't mean that the non-compete agreement that you signed 10 years ago is not legal anymore. It may still be legal, and it is still something you have to think about if you're leaving your employer. But going forward, from the time in October of last year that that, that this bill was passed um, and put into law, uh, non-competes are going to be much harder for employers to enforce, in many cases, just categorically illegal. So again, something for employers to keep in mind. They want to 
X out that non-compete from your uh, employment agreement. Speak with an employment lawyer about that. Quick break and back into some of the most common employment law questions you get uh, daily, hourly, minutely. We continue more employment law shows on the way. Stand by. Do you want to reach out to Mr. Pincus when we are done? Here is how you do it. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Email works fine. And the number 1-855-821-5900. Use that if you'd like a lengthier, more private conversation. No strings attached. Nothing. Just uh, give John a call. Okay. Most common employment law questions you get. Number one, hey, man, I didn't do anything wrong. What what gives? Can my employer, uh, employer still terminate my employment? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. <laughs> uh, an employer can terminate your employment for almost any reason. The only thing that an employer cannot do is terminate your employment for a discriminatory reason. They can't do it as a reprisal for you taking issue with safety in the workplace. Uh, they can't do it because you fall within a protected group in the human rights code. Uh, but other than that, uh, if they simply decide that eh, it's not working, we're going to let you go. Uh, they can let you go because you looked at them the wrong way. They can ter- they can let you go because you wore a hat they didn't like. Um, what they can't do is assert just cause if you didn't do anything wrong they will have to pay you a severance package now we can't stop them from terminating your employment um what we can do as employment lawyers is seek compensation for you and sometimes they didn't offer you severance when they should have in many cases they offered you severance but it wasn't nearly enough and that's what we can do to help you in those situations get you some money to help give you time to get back on your feet and again, doing that, uh, reaching out to John, one 821 5900 Another uh, question you get all the time is, uh, okay, what's the, uh, what's the secret sauce, man? How much severance do I get or should I get? Well, a couple places you want to go for that. Start at severancepaycalculator.com uh, or the Pocket Employment Lawyer. Um, and the things that we're looking at are, I mean, the big ones are your age, your position, your years of service, uh, your rate of compensation. But we look at other things. Were you, uh, were you suffering from a medical condition at the time that you were let go that your employer knew about? Uh, were you pregnant at the time uh, that you were let go? That's a big one. Uh, were you subject to some kind of agreement that's going to limit your ability uh, to find uh, a new job? Were you living in a remote area? Anything that could impose an impediment to you finding a new job, that's going to increase the period of severance that you're entitled to. And that's why after you get done with the severance pay calculator, you want to give us a call and talk about what your particular severance entitlements are going to be. And speaking of that severance offer, always uh, always brings about panic, right? So the question people ask is, do I have to accept that severance offer by the certain date, John? Because right at the bottom there, it says, you know, Friday at 5, give it back to us. Let's roll. Let's roll. Well, uh, for employees listening, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Every termination letter, every single one, um, with very few exceptions, um, has a deadline. Uh, the deadline is typically a week. Sometimes it's more aggressive. Uh, it really should be at least a week. Uh, but the reason for that deadline is because your employer really wants you to sign off. They really want you to sign off on that release. And typically, it's not going to be out of the goodness of their heart. They want it because, like you, they want closure. They don't want this hanging over them. They're human beings, too. They're speaking with their employment lawyers. You should be speaking with yours. That deadline is only going to matter if you're going to accept that severance offer. And chances are that severance offer is not only not adequate, but grossly inadequate. And that's where we can jump in and help you. And as John just mentioned, always, if even before that phone call, you just want to get a, a ballpark, a pretty accurate number, actually, where you should be as far as uh, what the severance should be, not what you're offered, because that's going to be weak. 
That is uh, the place to go, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the severance pay calculator. It takes about, I don't know, 30 seconds to put the uh, all the stuff through the metric, through the algorithm. And it's free and it's anonymous. And it'll spit out a number and length of time at the end, which will be super handy. Then you can follow up with a uh, phone call to John if you uh, want to do so. Always good to do that. We were talking about the most common employment law questions uh, you get, John. Another one here. I, I, I tried to come back after disability leave, but I was told there's no job for me. Nothing. You're out. Is that legal? Well, it may be the case, like we were talking about earlier, uh, that uh, your employer has eliminated the position and has nothing that's comparable for you, uh, but they're still going to owe you a severance package. That severance package might be less, but they're still going to owe you a severance package. But again, like we talked about, if the company has simply decided that, well, we like your replacement better, or uh, we don't really want to accommodate you four days a week for the next two months, well, that, in addition to a wrongful dismissal, is likely going to be a human rights violation, and you're going to be entitled to some compensation for that. Uh, we talked about this. In fact, we had a couple calls uh, earlier, and we always get calls in that matter. Is You know, John, my employer made a significant change to my job. It could be something like uh, moving location, or I went from days to nights, or maybe they've reduced my pay by a significant percentage because of, or they're saying it was the pandemic. But can they make that change to my job, and uh, how far can they go? Well, significant is always in the eyes of the beholder, right, John? So it really does depend what kind of change we're talking about. Uh, some changes are so significant that you can treat it as a, as a dismissal and seek a severance package, and that's what we call a constructive dismissal. And we have many, many examples of this, right? You're working in an office, and all of a sudden you're being told to work in a, a, you know, a caretaker's closet. Well, that's probably going to be constructive dismissal. You're earning $100,000 salary one day, and the next day you're earning $50,000 in salary. Yeah. That's probably going to be constructive dismissal. Uh, demotions very often are constructive dismissals. Forced transfers. One day you're working in, uh, you know, Mississauga, and the next day they say, uh, "Oh, you've got to work in uh, Quebec City." Well, uh, the that's a big change. And if you hadn't contemplated that when you started, then what they've effectively done is they've taken your employment and they've pulled the rug from under you. And in that case, they're going to owe you severance, just like if they had terminated your employment expressly. What you want to make sure, though is before you do anything, before you say I'm leaving or I'm treating this as a constructive dismissal, you've got to speak to an employment lawyer because if you allege constructive dismissal when it's not a constructive dismissal, that's a resignation and you can't afford to make that mistake. Uh, So please, please, if you're faced with the situation, speak with an employment lawyer and do it fast. Don't let it linger for months and months because if you wait too long, we may not be able to do anything about it. We'll take a short break. It's some more of your uh, more uh, common employment law questions that everybody seems to have in their head. If they don't get answered on this show, you can reach out anytime afterwards. I'll give you that information and then move on to a few emails uh, with the remaining time. We'll continue Employment Law Show. Lots more on the way. Skulls here along with John Pincus. The uh, Employment Law Show continues today. Reach out afterwards, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We're talking about some common questions you get uh, all the time at the office, which may be your home office uh, for the most part, John. But either way, my employer says they are terminating me for cause because that's what they do. So what can I do? Well, you can't get your job back, right? Um, right. If your employment employer is terminating you for cause and you've received a termination letter for cause, uh, your employer has pretty well made up their mind, right? So... Uh, the first thing you got to do is you have to kind of get a piece back that that's it. Your employment is over. But if they've said you're not entitled to compensation, that's a different story. 
speak to an employment lawyer because the vast majority of things that uh, an employers typically uh, allege as just cause are not cause for dismissal. And in 95% of these cases, you're at least going to be owed something. There's a very high threshold. It's what we call the capital punishment of employment law. So unless you've done something egregiously wrong, fraudulent, uh, or really that goes to the heart of the of the uh, employment relationship, then uh, you're likely going to be entitled to severance, and it could be very significant severance. So this is one of the most important times to speak to an employment lawyer and do it right away. And you can reach out, as mentioned, I always give you that number, but one 821 5900 It might not be in the immediate future, but it's always good to uh, give John a call and just have that conversation, just head it off of the past, right? Finally, uh, you know, my employer says I'm on a temporary layoff. How much of this have you seen in the last two years? But uh, do they have to take me back eventually? Oh goodness, yes, we've seen uh, we've seen more than our fair share of uh, temporary layoffs um, in the last year. You know, some employers doing so because they they really did have to, uh, and other employers really just kind of abusing the situation and uh, using this as a way to try and uh, get rid of uh, excess employees with no severance whatsoever. And uh, that has been uh, really concerning to see. Uh, if you're in one of those situations where you have been temporarily laid off, maybe you were temporarily laid off in March of 2020 and you were never called back, please do give us a call because you are not uh, without rights in that situation. COVID does not remove your rights to mm-hmm. severance. Um, they may recall you, they may not, but if you've been laid off and you're interested in seeing severance, you are entitled to severance if you're laid off and you haven't agree to it, right? The only time an employer can lay you off in Ontario is if they say, all right, are you agreeing to be laid off? Do you agree that we can lay you off as a term of your employment? And you say yes. If you say yes, well, that's a term of your employment. That's the deal. But if you haven't done that, then that's a that's a termination and you're going to be entitled to a termination package, a severance package. Or if you've accepted it before, right? They've done it before and you didn't say anything about it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a thorn in your question. You know, if they did it once 10 years ago, are they entitled to do it again forever? Well, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not. This is one of the issues that uh, we really do have to uh, look at at the time because like any other change, if you agree to it once, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot easier for the employer to say, well, we can do it again. Get to uh, Francesca, an email here says, Hey, John, I've been working from home remotely since the pandemic began, and now my employer is asking me to return. Do I have to go? You must get this question 100 times a week. You know, I don't get that question as often as you might think, because fortunately, a lot of employers uh, have learned from the pandemic and have learned that, hey, actually, it makes a lot more sense to have people working from home. They're more productive. There's less mm. cost. They're happier. Um, uh, you know, we can trim down our real estate. So this question doesn't come up that often, which has been really actually good to see. Uh, but it does come up from time to time. And the answer typically is yes. The only way that you're going to be able to get out of having to go back to work is if at some point during the time you were working, sometime during the pandemic, uh, something happened that now necessitates you having to work from home and you can have a doctor uh, substantiate that. Uh, or you've you know reached some written agreement with your employer that from now on, you're going to be working uh, remotely. But all of the things being equal, the assumption is going to be that if you're working remotely during the pandemic, that arrangement was to be temporary. And if your employer wants to call you back, they can do that. And if you don't go back, well, you've probably just quit. So be very careful. 
Yeah, I think a lot of employers now are kind of realizing, as you said, if, if not at home all the time, at least some sort of hybrid situation is kind of keeping all parties happy and productive mm. for, for the most part. But you always reach out either way. Ali, Ali says, John, I was fired for not following a safety procedure. I uh, admitted that what I did was wrong. Should I have, uh, should I have not done that? I'm an, am I entitled to severance? Well, you certainly did the right thing, uh, Ali, by admitting that what you did was mm. wrong. Because if if you had gone in and said that, well, I don't think I did anything wrong, uh, then what your employer is going to say, well, then we can't trust this person because you're going to do it again. So actually, that was not only something, uh, that was not only the right thing to do, it was absolutely essential that you did that. And a really important wow. question, hopefully our listeners aren't caught in that situation, right? Hopefully you're, you don't uh, find yourself faced with that kind of uh, problem. But if you are, admit to what you have done. It will not hurt you to be honest uh, in the workplace. Now, the second question, are you entitled to severance? Almost certainly Yes. Now we're going to look at the circumstances, right? Is Mm -hmm. this something that's happened again and again? And that might be a problem. But typically, at the very least, you're going to be entitled to your minimum severance. If they've paid you nothing, please, please give us a call because I see the situation all the time and you still have severance entitlements in that situation. Yeah, you guys often say they, uh, you know, they pull the trigger, the employer does, on the termination too quickly. You've done one thing wrong that doesn't rise to the level of, of termination. Boom, out they go. Incorrect. Can't do that, right? That's right. And especially in a case like this where the person has said, you know what, I screwed up. I did right. it wrong. I shouldn't have done this. You know, at that point, you know that person is not incorrigible. You should give them another chance. Or if you don't want to give them another chance, let them go, but pay them severance. Terry, you are up next. Says, hey, John, thanks for uh, thanks for the show uh, today. I've been employed for 10 years, and now my employer wants me to sign ooh, an independent contractor agreement. <laughs> this makes no sense. Uh, should I agree to do this? Well, lots of alarm bells and uh, red flags uh, yeah, here. Right. Uh, Ten years you've been working as an employee, and all of a sudden you're going to become an independent contractor <laughs> at arm's length? I don't think so. No. Very likely not. This almost definitely is an agreement that you should not be signing. But, hey, just to be sure, give us a call. Let's talk about the pros and cons. What's the biggest con? Well, you're probably being asked to give up your right to severance. So be very careful. Do not sign that before speaking with us. Even if Terry did sign that, I mean, if it ever came down to, you know, brass tacks, would it would it even hold water? It's like, you know, why did you have him sign this? You know, for 10 years, the guy's been an employee. I mean, you owe him severance or something, right? Well, you, you, you're quite right, John. I mean, almost certainly it would not hold water because uh, probably there was no benefit for it. And even if there was a benefit for it, it's probably an illegal agreement mm. under the Employment Standards Act. But not necessarily, and you never want to sign something expecting it's going to be unenforceable. Same thing we say about non-competes, right? You don't sign a non-compete saying, ah, you know what, I don't think they'll be able to enforce it because they will make your life miserable if they want to rely on it. So before you put yourself in that situation, try and avoid it altogether by dealing with it before you sign it. Let's like uh, Kristen's email in here. Finally says, I was fired just before a bonus was payable. Nice. Am I owed the bonus? <laughs> Sneaky. Yeah, this is just the worst. Um, <laughs> you know what? It, it really it does depend on what you have signed. Depending on what you've signed, you may have agreed to relinquish the bonus in those situations. But in many cases, the bonus is still going to be owed to you. So uh, the answer, Kristen, is probably you're owed the bonus, but I've got to see what you've signed. So go ahead and send us any employment agreements you've signed. Uh, you know where to find us. Uh, John will give you that information, and uh, we can take a look at uh, the likelihood that you're owed this bonus. 
That is right. That's how we wrap it up. I tell everybody not just to uh, sit back in their, in their laurels and accept everything. At least get some information. Get educated. Uh, talk to John and uh, set it straight, right? Here's that number as we uh, get out of here for the day. one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 Email that we've been using right there for the last few minutes. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, free, full of information. Anonymous, too, built just for you. That is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show.